welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, thanks, Mike, for being a part of the conversation today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm a, I've been looking forward to this for a while. Oh, have you? Yep. Any particular reason why? Uh, no, I just think it's interesting, and I've never been able to be a part of a podcast or anything like this. Uh, I just think it's cool. And okay. I also, I was looking at and listening to some of your other stuff, and I was just looking forward to it, having a good conversation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it, too. So, um, as an introduction, you're a young engineer, right? Yeah, automation engineer. Automation engineer? So does that have to do with robotics and stuff like that? Um, yes and no. There are advanced automation engineers, I guess you could call them, um, and they deal with a lot of robotics design. I do more of the programming. So... Um, we use these industrial computers called PLCs, Programmable Logic Controllers, and they are they're basically computerized relays. So if you know anything about a relay, it's just like a switch on and off, and they use these for these gigantic processes um, where you've got things like uh, motors and robots and all sorts of things on like assembly lines or in a power plant um, and we we program the robots and these uh, mechanical processes to work together but there are divisions that actually do the robotics design as well I'm just not part of that not not that smart <laughs> so does your work involve like coding at all or um yeah so these plcs they have um their own programming language they call it ladder logic and if you've ever seen anything like a wiring diagram um, the code pretty much looks like that there is some scripting that you can do but we design objects to store the information and they might have different types if we've got an analog signal like temperature, um, you'll have a device that's specific for that. Or if you just got something that's either on or off, you'll have something like that. Um, and if, in principle, it works just like any other code, but it is primarily graphical. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily call myself like a computer programmer, but there is programming involved. Okay. And then scripting, is that kind of like scripting, like Linux scripting on the bash in the shell or something like that? Yeah, so whenever I talk about scripting, I'm just talking more of very high-level programming. Um, you know, it's uh, very simple in its, in its architecture and syntax. It, if you know what, do you know what pseudocode is? You ever heard of that? I know what sudo is, as in super user, like if you're... In okay, the, so I'm talking sudo like P-S-E-U-D-O, like oh, no. false. No, I don't know what that is. Okay, so sudo just means false, I think. Okay. Sudo code is right. basically, it looks like code, but it's not necessarily a coding language. Okay. So it kind of looks like that. It's really simple. Um, if you know anything about like if-then statements, that right. sort of thing... Um, you, you have things like that. It's pretty, 
it's pretty simple because we're dealing with, you know, computer, we're, we're dealing with computers where everything's binary on or off. Right. Um, so it's just a combination of multiple things either being on or off at the same time to make something else come on. Right. Yeah, we better get off this before we lose anyone not interested in technical <laughs> <Yeah>. stuff. <laughs> but um, but are you kind of like technical minded? I mean, does it take a certain personality to get into this? Like, is it similar to enjoying math and stuff like that? Um, I suppose. I've always been kind of like a computer guy. Okay. Ever since I was little, I just thought computers were really cool. Okay. Um, and you know, I always had in mind to be a computer hardware engineer design like oh. computers and cars and planes things like that and i realized that that would require more schooling than what i was willing to do um so i kind of found like a middle ground somewhere where i could be doing a little bit of this programming sort of stuff but also looking and dealing with hardware hmm. and more hands-on thinking and uh that's where i found this automation engineering Okay. Have you ever gotten into like Linux type of stuff? Um, I have taken Linux courses okay. when I was in school. Um, and I have a laptop that I've designated specifically for Linux processes, but I wouldn't call myself a big Linux guy. Okay. <laughs> I just think it's interesting. Right. Um, it's so common, like in in cars and appliances that have a computer in them like I, I from what i hear linux is the most popular operating system because of stuff like that you know yeah and it's most linux operating systems are really easy to develop for specific needs so this mm-hmm. there's hundreds of different linux operating systems mm-hmm. um and they're linux in its most rudimentary form is open source. So anybody can get their hands on it and do anything they want with it. There's no mm-hmm. um, propri- pr- proprietary, is that how you say that? Mm-hmm. Um, it's Nothing's proprietary about it unless you design your own specific form of Linux and then you can make it your own, but. Right. Well, besides engineering, um, so I, I know you identify with Christianity. Mm-hmm. So is that um, like a always been a big part of your life? Is is that you know, with, and so forth? And yeah. So I grew up Catholic. Oh, did you? Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, I think I was Catholic and part of the Catholic system uh, tradition, whatever you might call it, church, until about seventh grade. So I was never confirmed. Um, but my mom, her parents are, are both Catholic. Um, and I believe my grandpa was actually in a Catholic seminary um, preparing for priesthood. And my grandma, she might have been in the, the convent, is what we call it, oh, to really? be a nun. Wow. Um, but yeah, they ended up, um, they ended up you know, falling in love and getting married. And my grandpa worked for the um, Catholic newspaper here in St. Louis for his entire career um, as an editor or distributor something of something of that sort um, but 
So whenever my mom married my dad, she had him convert to Catholicism because he wasn't really um, strong in any kind of denomination or that sort. I think he grew up in kind of a mixed Lutheran-Baptist household, Mm -hmm. Um, but he was just, I'll do whatever you want kind of thing. Just don't bother me too much about it. So that's how the... That's how I grew up. And I think around 2012, so I was about 12 or 13, my, um, and maybe even before that 2010, my mom kind of found some conflicts um, with just the people at the Catholic Church, but also just with some of the theology when she started to sort of study things on her own and recognizing how they saw salvation um, and their uh, scriptural canon with the Apocrypha. Um, She just saw things that were inconsistent and things that didn't make sense. So that kind of led her on a spiritual journey and she found her way to Protestantism. Um, So she, it sounds like she was pretty serious about the Christian faith. Yeah, she was. Um, because she she grew up in a you know pretty strict traditional Catholic household, mm-hmm. so she was always surrounded by the Bible and faith and all these things. And whenever she got older, um, I guess she never really questioned it because how strong her parents' faith was. Um, but when she started having her own kids. You know, after a while, she decided that she was going to learn more um, other than just, you know, the simplest form of things and just following the tradition. Did, but Did that make waves in the family? It did. Um, my dad was more than happy to stop going to Catholic Church, as all of us were. I mean, none of us enjoyed going to church. Hmm. So there was a brief period where we weren't really going to church at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually we did find a non-denominational church and we all ended up getting baptized um, and professing faith. And uh, that's kind of where my spiritual, my real spiritual journey began. I knew Bible stories growing up, growing up Catholic, and but really, really understanding the gospel and Jesus Christ that came around middle school for me hmm. okay like um, you said you were like 12, 13 or something like that. yeah okay yeah so did anyone follow suit like uh, other family members I guess are your grandparents still Catholic yeah my, my grandparents are still Catholic and um, they don't agree with everything that the Catholic Church does, and they don't necessarily agree with everything Pope Francis has to say, um, but that's the way they grew up, um, and they're they're strong, strongly committed to that. Um, so they, that's the way, that's that's the way that they are. Um, I've got aunts and uncles that have gone to all sorts of uh, different things. I've got. Um, an aunt and uncle that are charismatic, um, an aunt and uncle that are Catholic. Um, so the charismatic aunt and uncle, they converted from Catholicism to that? 
Yeah, I think okay. my aunt was never a Catholic. Okay. And my uncle um, wasn't necessarily super engaged with Catholicism, that he was willing to, you know, remain that way. I don't know exactly how their kind of faith journey developed, but um, they're they're good people, and, you know, they, they love Christ, um, but I don't know all the nitty-gritty details of their theology and what they believe. So what's the main difference from your understanding between the Catholic faith and Protestant faith? Okay, yeah, so the Catholic faith developed more and more into the traditions of man sort of thinking, and I think that just with corruption that man brings, especially in power, I mean, everybody can see that power brings corruption and I think just over centuries and centuries and centuries of man having so much power and authority it kind of steered away from Christ that that his work on the cross was sufficient um, for our salvation and that's the big difference is that they see it as very works-based you have to do all these things. You have to do these sacraments to be in good standing with the Father. Um, and these, there's certain sins that you can't commit or you're almost dooming yourself. There is reconciliation to a degree, but, I mean, they, have, they believe in purgatory. Um, so that, among all sorts of things, like the like prayers to saints and angels... Um, those are big differences because in, in Protestantism, you know, we, we believe by um, faith alone, through God's grace alone, and Christ alone that, that we are saved. Through, through Christ's work on the cross and his resurrection, the faith that we have in that and the grace we receive from the Father, that's the only thing that, that allows us to go to heaven. And it, we are affirmed that we will be going to heaven. There's no if then maybe this else sort of thing um but i don't know how much you want to go into that sort of thing we can i can i'm more than willing to continue talking about that about catholicism um so i was talking in the in the sauna i was sitting in the sauna see was it last night or the night before maybe the night before and i was talking to a guy who's a catholic and he's he was super knowledgeable of catholic catholic history and everything and um I was trying to explain what seems to me like the most significant difference. Um, whereas Jesus died for our sins, so we all believe that, Catholics, yeah. us, and everything. But for us, it's kind of like, that's enough. Like, um, our faith identifies us as children of God. Um, but for Catholics, like, how is it, um, so Jesus died for our sins, but we don't just automatically say that applies to every single person in the world. So yeah. how do we benefit from that? And I was kind of explaining what, you know, in the, the Catholic faith, it seems like it's the sacraments. Like that's how we get the benefits of what Jesus did so that we enjoy that forgiveness and so forth. So as I was talking to him, I said, so, you know, 
so there needs to be, so he died, but there needs to be, um, I said, but of course there needs to be like, I don't know, like confession of sin. You know, even we believe there has to be something, yeah. you know. There, and, uh, and he said, yeah, the sacrament of penance or repentance. Or, you know, penitence, where the, yeah. Yeah, where they confess. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that does, there seems to be a little a similarity there because, um, you know, I had just said, you do need to, conf- you know, it would say there needs to be some acknowledgement of sin and confession of it and, you know, turning from that or, or something. And um, he's saying the same thing except that it's put, they call it a sacrament and it's more formalized and so forth. <clears throat> but <clears throat> it's, not, it's not quite all so neat as that because, like, um, the Eucharist, you know, somehow in the Catholic understanding of things, we're receiving grace somehow, you know, we're through that and stuff. But anyway, I don't know. Yeah. There's um, a lot of history with the Catholic Church. Yeah. Um, and I think where a lot of people get wrong is that the Protestant Church shares all that history with the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. There's just, eventually it got to a point where, you know, a, a split was forming and then a little bit further on with Martin Luther, that split actually did happen. Um, but I mean, the early, the very, like a lot of the very early Catholic church, um, doctrine, the most Protestant churches still follow and, and believe those same things. Um, it's just as you know, centuries went on, more and more divergence happened, um, that, that we, we have rejected. Okay. All right. Um, okay, so you're an engineer, you're um, a Christian. What else would you, how else would you describe yourself as the type of person you are? Uh, that's a tough one. Something that I'm actually trying to figure out. Like, who is the person that I want to be? Obviously, I do enjoy my career, and I am a Christian, so if I do want to glorify God with all that I do, but the thing I'm struggling with right now is outside of my career like who is the person that I want to be growing up I was I was doing some sports and I was really into video games and just hanging out with my friends I didn't think about anything else I just kind of said how can I enjoy life the most (laughs) and then going to college I kind of complete 180'd and was doing, I was doing so many different things that I was kind of falling apart at the seams. Um, I couldn't handle all the things I got myself involved in, but it was kind of a um, a journey of just trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my time. Uh, I mean, I do have interests. I do enjoy reading. I like doing things outside, like playing sports or fishing, hiking, um, going on a walk in the park, um, spending time with my family. Uh, I like I like all those things, but as far as like a particular hobby that I'm I'm fully invested in, like something that you can say is something that defines me. I don't I don't really have that. Um, so I mean. 
life gives you a lot of different opportunities and I feel as though I need to make a choice about what opportunity I'm going to pursue and I don't think that life necessarily has to be that way but I think in in binaries you know, like I either do this or I do that I can't do both um, and I don't know what exactly uh, creates that mindset for me but it does bring a lot of conflict um, like you, can you give me an example of and also if you're getting in the sun and you just want to shift over we can do that just if it bothers you or anything oh no I, I'm fine okay. I'm fine right here for now okay um, so what do I mean by that um, like having to choose like what's what do you mean yeah so I guess I just feel like I'm only capable of doing so many things with my time yeah and I feel a conflict over how I want to spend that time um, like what what do I want people to know me for do they do I want people to know me as just an average guy who just goes about life just whatever is happening is happening um or do i want somebody to to know me for a particular reason like oh mike is a guy that's you know, deeply involved in his community and he cares about people or do i want to just be the sort of guy that keeps a private life um not necessarily that either of those things are evil or you know bad options to pursue some people do find enjoyment in being like deeply involved in their community and um helping and doing all those things and other people want to keep to themselves and their family um you know helping helping their neighbors things like that you can be involved in people's life without necessarily actively pursuing that um and it's not just about private life or you know being involved in my community it's like do I want to be somebody who reads books all the time mm -hmm. I, I enjoy reading books mm -hmm. but you know I, I don't know I'm I I confuse myself a lot um so does that really answer any questions kind for of. you so <laughs> so what's life all about from your perspective I think life's all about um, what the the first uh, or the, is it the second question of the Westminster Catechism um, that uh, the purpose of life is to, to glorify God um, and to enjoy Him forever, something like that. Yeah. Um, um, right. Yeah, that's the answer. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that um, I think that's what life's about. It's glorifying God and enjoy enjoying Him by doing that. I think there's a lot of different ways that we can glorify God. I mean, he he tells us himself that we're to glorify him in everything that we do. And you know, to some people they're they're called to different things and some are teachers and some So what does it mean to glorify God? Um yeah, so I think to glorify God is to deny yourself. Um so we we think about it you know, if we're living for ourselves, we're we're seeking our own desires, um, and I can kind of talk a little bit more about that after I get this across. But 
you know, whenever we're living to glorify God, we're, we're seeing how are we living our lives in a way that instead of bringing joy to ourselves and our own selfish ambitions and desires, but how can people see God in trying to not use the word glory. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to say that God in a more glorified way, um, that they would see God for who he truly is by the way that we live our lives. You know, God is the perfect depiction of what is good and perfect. And so how can we live our lives that people would see God in that way? Um, so we're talking about how are we using our time? You know, if we're, if we're going to work and we're just trying to get the work day by, you know, we just, Oh, the work gets done and I go home and I, I don't think about that anymore. And I'm not trying to, um, be the best employee or all those sorts of things. It's like, are we glorifying God with our time at work? I would say, no, we're, we're trying to find the easiest way for ourselves. And whenever we go home, we just turn on the television and let our minds go numb, you know, for the entire evening. Are we really glorifying God or are we just trying to, you know, enjoy ourselves? We're not seeking any hardship. Um, and I think that's where we really um, glorify God is whenever we're, we are pursuing hard things. It's hard to want to be a good employee, you know, when your boss isn't kind to you, you know, to still want to do the very best to, to get the job done to satisfy your employer or going home and deciding, you know, I'm not going to watch TV for three hours. I'm going to go and help my neighbor who's struggling with his car right now, you know, that sort of thing. So, so glorif so God is glorified when we do hard things because that shows something about God. Is that what it is? Or um, so there is a balance to it. You know, watching TV, it's not inherently evil. Right. We can enjoy things in this life. God does bless us with things. Mm -hmm. But I think um, when we cause ourselves to be too idle. I think that's where we kind of slip away from this glorifying God. Um, we glorify God not not just in hard things, but I think whenever we do these hard things instead of the things that we necessarily want to do, um, I think that's when we recognize whether or not our lives are lived for the purpose of glorifying Him, and and. The chapter two of Philippians, you know, it, it talks about um, the way that Jesus lived his life, and and the reason that Jesus is glorified in heaven now. Um, in the first five, first four verses of that, um, Paul is encouraging the the brothers and sisters in uh, Philippi um, to not seek after their own selfish ambitions, um, but, but others, um, needs. Um, I think it goes, um, something like, uh, not that we look after our own selfish ambitions, but we consider others as more important than ourselves. Um, something along the lines of that. I think in the last five, the, the last 
six verses up to verse 11, from 5 to 11, um, it, it tells us that we should adopt the same attitude of Christ Jesus, who, you know, though he existed in the form of God, he was equal to God. He, he set aside um, his, his godhood. Not that, not that he was no longer God, like he was still God. I want to be careful with those words, but that he, he, he stepped aside from his, you know, eternal place in the heavens, this glorified state to, you know, live a poor life as a carpenter in the Middle East in the first century. Um, and he did that for us. You know, he, he was you know, the, greatest thing in the entire universe and he became a lowly peasant in Jerusalem you know in Israel in the first century underneath the Roman Empire and he was subjected to all sorts of hatred by his own people he was crucified I don't think that anybody wants to do those things yeah so the idea of just saying no to ourselves, saying no to our desires, um, it kind of like conflicts with me a little bit because like, was that what life is about? Just saying no to what I want? But there's a, a way of looking at it where it's like, it's not saying no to what you want, but it's saying yes to something higher and greater. Yeah, know? I agree. Yeah. So that's that's where I'm trying to figure out because I think that we can pursue something that's higher and greater and still have enjoyment. I mean, John Piper is, you know, his saying, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. How can I live my life in a way that is both pursuing something that's greater with our, our my mindset on heaven and, it, and eternity um, without necessarily sacrificing what what I want out of life like God isn't necessarily glorified more in one person being a doctor and one person working in a factory um you know but the the person that wanted to be a doctor not that I guess everybody wants to be a doctor some people maybe just pursue it for the money and because they can but you know if if somebody wants to be a, a doctor you know they're going to pursue that and they can glorify God in that. If I if I want to be somebody who you know works on cars, like that's a hobby of mine. I want to work on cars. It's not that I can't work on cars because I need to be going out in the streets and preaching the good news and um, giving away all my money like all the time. And mm-hmm. you know we don't necessarily need to be the lowliest people on earth. So I think we can we can pursue our own desires, but we should see first in an eternal mindset. It's like if if I do this, will it ultimately lead to wasted time, wasted life and something that amounts to nothing in the end. And that's something that I, you know, I struggle with that a lot because God doesn't necessarily say that having a hobby that is to yourself, you know, your own personal time is evil. 
But if we do too much of that, you know, it can produce evil. Mm-hmm. Because it's wasting your life. It could be, if you're too yeah. much, you know. Yeah. So what's the most significant? So the opposite of waste is significance. It's like it means something. So for you, like, if you look back in like a past week or something, like, what's the most significant things that you're involved in? Like, what means the most um, in like either your typical week or just in general, you know, what seems to be really important? Um, so I think something that's really important is definitely trying to make time for the people in my life that I care about um, in some way or another. Some people, you know, they live far away and it's just a... <laughs> it's just about um, reaching out to them. Hey, how you doing, man? Yeah. Other people that are, you know, closer, like my family or you know, people that live near me, it's about, you know, making time to show them that I care and I'm interested about their lives. Yeah. Because I am interested about their lives. Um, so it seems like relationships seem really significant. Yeah, yeah I think you. relationships are very important. Um, but I also, I mean, I enjoy play te- playing tennis. Okay. So every Tuesday night um, and uh, some Saturday mornings, I'm, I'm playing tennis. And sometimes I'm playing on other nights. If somebody can play tennis and I can play tennis at that same time, I would like to play tennis. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think, you know, trying to make time to get physical activity and, you know, if I'm not playing tennis or something like basketball, I like working out. You know, I, I enjoy being healthy and staying active. That is something that is important to me. Yeah. Um, but also I like, uh, I like personal time. Like I like me time. Yeah. I think that's what kind of gives me conflicts of what do I want to do with my life because I, right. I want to just stay in my room <laughs> a lot of times and just uh, read a book or you know just be by myself, lay on the floor and <laughs> do nothing. Yeah. Um, but I can't live my entire life laying on the floor doing nothing. <laughs> right. But sometimes that's kind of like energizing or you know just regrouping or something. Yeah. You know to be out there doing other things too i try i try in my weeks and my time to maximize my um outgoingness by maximizing my um personal time you know that alone time like how can i best spend my alone time that the time when i'm not alone is best used you know, if I don't have enough alone time, then nobody's going to want to be around me. Yeah. <laughs> but if right. I have too much alone time, then I never want to be around anybody. Right. You know, I f- was thinking about this just the other day. But, you know, some things we do, it's like that's kind of supportive for you do it for something else. Like if you wanted to be, if you enjoy fitness, you know, that's great. I enjoy that too. And it feels good just to to have worked out or something like that and but we would say well our fitness is helps us with you know it gives us something you know else 
and then sometimes we do something else and it helps us to do something else. So, um, but like if we thought, well, I'm enjoying fitness because that's like the fulfillment of my life, you know, there'd be a problem with that. Yeah. And I think that's something that I struggle with because I do have a little bit of an addictive personality. You know, I, I get into phases where this is the thing in my life that is fulfilling me and that's all I want to do. It's all I think about. And everything that I'm doing outside of that is a drag. I got to get through this so that I can, you know, do this thing. Tennis, for example. I mean, I've been playing a lot of tennis this summer. I think about it all the time. Um, but I have a a roommate I lived with, and he always had like something wise to say. But something that he told me that I think was very true. But it was funny thing he said. He said, "Michael, I'm only capable of doing about three things in a day. You know, what those three things are, I don't necessarily know from day to day." But if I try to do something else outside of that, it all falls apart. I can't handle that. So he's like, if I work, that's one thing. You know, if it's a if I work out, that's the second thing. If I do homework, that's the third thing. Everything else that I do, I'm gonna be in my room. I'm not gonna be doing anything productive at all at all outside of those three things. And I think there is some kind of truth to that. Because, like I said, when I was in college, when I was in school, I was doing so many things all the time. And from the moment I'd wake up at 5 a.m. and I'd be going until 9.30, 10 o'clock, I'd take a shower and I'd, I'd go to bed and it'd be the same thing over again. And every once in a while I'd have that that evening where nothing was happening and I'd reflect to myself and I'd think, this is exhausting. So I think that you know we need to have hobbies or things that we're doing that prepare us for something that maybe be more important in an eternal way. Yeah. You know, so some things we do, like, okay, so we, we enjoy fitness that supports our life so that we can do other things. Yeah. We um, enjoy hobbies because it regroups us, it's recreation, we, and it, support, it supports us for something else. Um, we work, so we have money, so someone else is not, you know, so there's all these reasons why we do different things, but we get to a certain point of some activities where it's like, you don't go beyond it. Like, I, um, enjoy, I, I enjoy this friendship or this connection with this person, and if we said, because it gets me, then, then it almost seems like a problem, like, um, it would be almost like we'd be using the per- person, you know. Yeah. Some things just seem to be like that ultimate step where it's not like I do this to because of what it, you know, so I can do something else. And um, it seems, and the main thing I think about is like um, s- social relating and connection. It just seems like that's so fundamental. Like if we were to say we're doing it, um, for what we can get out of it, it just seems wrong. And even like evangelism, um, like I'm becoming this person's friend so that I can save them or something, you know, that's like real yeah. bad terminology. But like anyone would recognize there's a problem with that, even like a lost yeah, person. I, yeah, they you know. recognize that. And, and yeah. uh, that's something that you know, I, I have seen, you know, pe- people see other people as projects or opportunities right. for themselves yeah. and i think that's the sort of thing that 
that comes back to that um, selfish ambition mm-hmm. sort of thing. It's like you want something and you're using other people and, and things to obtain that goal. And that goal, it might seem good. Like, oh, evangelize and have somebody, you know, be saved. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, they're going to heaven now. That's a, such a good goal to have, to want to save people. But, you know, you're not becoming friends with them to enjoy their friendship and that relationship. Mm-hmm. You're doing that for your own personal goal. Right. Yeah. So, because so many things, it's just appropriate to say, I do this because it supports this or... or you could do that, but with people, you can't really do that. It just makes me, it just points out to me how fundamental relationships are and just how we're created to be in connection with each other because it's like that's just, we do it because we're human, not like other things, just so we can get something yeah. from it. Yeah. And like going back to Genesis, you know, God's own words were, it's not good for man to be alone. Mm-hmm. We we were made to be in community. And God, I mean, God is one God, but he's also in eternal fellowship with the three persons of himself, the Father, yeah. Son, Holy Spirit. You know, God himself is an eternal community. So we were made in his image. So it only makes sense that we want to be in community with other people. Yeah. Um, and you know, the all the failures, I guess, or the, the the bad things about people being in community with one another, that's a product of sin. It's not a product of we shouldn't be in community with other people. Yeah. And Jesus' most fundamental commandment is love one another, yep. which is like right there with like, being connected, caring for the other person, not being just into yourself, you know. Yeah, and I think, you know, whenever you are a Christian and you are pursuing this, you know, this maybe abstract goal of glorifying God, you know, when John Piper, he says that God's most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him, I think as Christians, these tasks that might seem just stupid to somebody who's not a Christian like going out of our way to help somebody you know we we do find joy in doing those things mm-hmm. you know, if I'm doing those things all the time I get kind of old and tired of that mm-hmm. but when I have the opportunity to help something or do something greater than myself and not necessarily doing it for myself you do find joy in that. You, yeah. you you do find satisfaction in that. What do you think is the most helpful thing you can do for people, someone else? Like, we, you know, we live in the land of abundance, you know. It's not, like, sometimes it seems everybody has kind of what they need, their basic things, plus um, what's the most... Um, rich and significant way that your life can be a blessing to somebody else. Do you have any thoughts about that? Um, you know, that is a good question. 
Um, and I guess I never really thought about that. Um, for me, I would say just caring about that person, um, not necessarily in the sense of, you know, helping them, but showing that you have general interest in their life. Mm -hmm. I think that is one of the most loving things that you can do because people like to talk about themselves. You know, people care about themselves. You you should care about yourself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And if you show interest in somebody else they, they'll like you like if you if you let somebody else talk if you just ask questions like you're doing right now you you give me all the opportunities to talk um people appreciate that and i think i think that's one of the most fundamental ways that you can show love to other people it's just general interest in them which does lead back to that thing when we were talking about evangelism um you know using that relationship with them to share the gospel with them and that's the ultimate goal they see that because they don't see that you're interested in them they see that they're a project right you're there there's something to be gained from right so i think that is the fundamental part is just showing the general interest and care towards somebody else Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, has there been anything in particular that's really impacted your life that really changed its course? Um, either a person or an experience or a book or anything like that? Yeah, I would say um, two of the most influential things in my life um, were, you know, probably, actually probably one of the most influential things in my life was when I went to college, I joined a fraternity because my older brother was in this fraternity and he... One of the goals, which we just talked about goals from people, I wouldn't necessarily say it was his goal, but it was a, a factor in him doing this. But he joined a fraternity because he knew some of the people in the fraternity. He joined his sophomore year, I think. Most people, you know, they join when they're freshmen. Um, he was friends with some of the people in this fraternity, and he saw it as a good platform to be able to share the gospel with other people. Um, and he made such good friendships with a lot of these guys in this fraternity that he genuinely did enjoy. And on top of that, he got opportunities to share the gospel with them. Not that they were projects, but that he had the joy of helping somebody he cared about. And my roommate in college, he was going to join the same fraternity that my brother was in and I decided you know I really really care about this guy you know that's why I was roommates with him I he was one of my best friends and I wanted to continue to be able to have that relationship with him in in a maximized way so I knew if he was going to join this fraternity he was going to spend a lot of time with this fraternity so I joined um with that same kind of goal in mind to continue to build relationships and have the opportunity to share the gospel 
But when I joined that fraternity, um, I had a my big brother in the fraternity, somebody who takes you through your bloodship. Um, his name was Trevor, and he was a Christian. He was a year older than me, um, and just seeing his life, the way that he lived his life, and the way that you know he lived it for God was one of the most influential things of my entire life um because up up till that point i never had genuine discipleship in my life somebody that genuinely cared about me and wanted to see me love god more and do great things for christ until i met him because i had an older brother you know he was a christian and, and doing all these things but there's certain kind of Autonomy and um, I guess you know a desire to have a different direction than your older siblings. You know you don't want to be their mini me, their follower. Yeah. Um, well, I did see my brother as a role model. Mm-hmm. I I did genuinely think, you know, the the steps and the direction he was going in his life was cool and something that I would want to model. I would want my life to be like his, but I didn't want to necessarily be a tag along. To my brother so finding somebody and finding trevor um was so impactful in my life and i think that it's so important for young people to have older mentors in their life because you grow up in a circle of friends and these people just agree with you they're not necessarily any any wiser than you especially as young you know you haven't lived long enough for your lives to be drastically different from each other, to have acquired new knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I'm two 50-year-olds that have lived radically different lives are going to have a lot of differences in their wisdom that they can gain from each other. Mm-hmm. But when you're young, you know, everybody's still just learning the basics of life. Having somebody older in your life to look up to and that that care about you is super important i think and that's that's what i had do you have a mentor now who's um (laughs) something stuff's falling Mm -hmm. um i no, i do not have a mentor a specific mentor like i did then but i have older people in my life that i'm surrounded by giving me wisdom Mm -hmm. um and I, I don't necessarily think that I need a mentor in the same role that I did as an 18-year-old now. But I definitely see the importance of having older men um, in my life to help me make wise decisions based on you know, good decisions that they have made and also mistakes that they have made. You can learn from that. You know, my oldest brother... If he got in trouble for doing something, I was very, very unlikely to do the same thing that he did that got him in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I learned from somebody who was older than me. Um, so that's a part of the DREAM acronym I learned just a couple of days ago. And a, there's this podcast called Read to Lead. And I forgot the host, but he, um, he basically interviews authors of books, a lot of nonfiction, a lot of self-help books okay. and leaders. And um, he was asked, you know, what are the common things you see in all of these people who are very successful? And he came up with an acronym, DREAM. 
So the D stands for dancing with discomfort, being willing to get out of your comfort zone. The R is to read, you know. And then um, the E is for identifying what energizes you and kind of leaning in that way. And then the A is for like assembling your advisors, which is similar to what you're saying, um, having people in your life to give you counsel and so forth. Then the M is for morning, like your morning routine, making the most of it and so forth. Um, so having people in your life, like a mentor or he talked about what he did for himself was he put together a mastermind group. Are you familiar with what a mastermind group is? I think I've heard of that term before. Okay. So it's like a group of people who get together. And I think the, the way I picture it is that they would take turns. Like, let's say they meet monthly. This month, this person is going to talk about their challenge. And everyone is going to throw in their feedback. And, you know, and then next month this person is going to talk about their challenge at the time and everybody is going to throw in their feedback. So it's kind of like you're getting the benefit of a bunch of different people's insight and you're just taking turns doing it. So that's really cool. Yeah, Yeah, I think it is too. I had never heard of that dream acronym before, but I, I agree with everything that you said. Um, every, I agree with all those points in that acronym. Um, and I think just from our conversation, I did talk about a lot of those things. What was the D again? A discomfort. Dancing with yeah. discomfort. So, that's, so I think that is so important because, you know, we we don't like discomfort. I had a buddy, he had a, a hat that said, seek discomfort. Hmm. And I was thought, why are you wearing that hat? Why you wanna, Why do you want to seek discomfort? And he said, that's where the growth comes. And that's where you become the person that you want to be is in those points of discomfort. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's why I think that going to work and coming home and, and doing nothing and watching TV all the time. It's you very comfortable. Yeah, it is really comfortable. It's so easy, you know, and I do it sometimes, but I don't want my entire life to be marked by that because then you don't have any growth. Right. Um, but yeah, I think the, what was the E, energize yourself? Um, no, uh, I evaluate what energizes. Okay, evaluate what energizes you. Yeah, so for me, you know, sometimes what energizes myself is laying on the floor doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. And that energy allows me to seek the discomfort, allows right. me to go out and, and do all these things that I I want my life to be marked by. But there's some activities that probably like energizes you and there's probably other other energy activities that saps you like you just feel like just sapped um or I do um are there anything anything like that that after you do it it's like man you're on fire you're just like that was so exciting um anything like that uh, particular type of activities um, let me think. You know, if I have the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, yeah, that that really fires me up, right? But it usually fires me up more more often than not when I'm fired up from sharing the gospel with somebody. It's because I had the opportunity to have 
a genuine conversation with somebody. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've, I've done street evangelism before and there's been times where I left street evangelism thinking, Oh yeah, that was so awesome. I need to do that all the time. And there's other times when I did have conversations with people and I left feeling just so tired, like Mm -hmm. I just want to go to my room and relax. Um, because for me, I'm, I like to identify myself as in the terms of identifying yourself <laughs> as an outgoing introvert. Mm-hmm. So I find my energy by being by myself, Yeah. but I enjoy going out and, and doing things. Yeah. Um, so sometimes if I'm, if I'm too out there, it just destroys my energy levels. It makes me feel so uncomfortable. Like I have no desire to be where I am right now. Um, so I, I think I thrive really well in personal, intimate relationships. Like some something like this podcast was exciting to me because I knew that I was going to have the opportunity to have. A, a cool conversation with somebody and it wasn't going to be in a, in a crowded space with too many people interjecting um, and just have a intentional time with somebody um, that that is something that that really fires me up like this this conversation right now is really awesome to me hmm. yeah I find like um satisfying conversations really good too uh, for me what um, telling the truth as clearly as possible when it's appropriate um, is something that energizes me sometimes or, or living in like a really authentic way even if it's kind of hard um, whereas if I kind of act in an unauthentic un- way that just makes me feel like I'm shriveling up, you know. That's kind of like the opposite of what energizes me, you know. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, my my goal every single day is to go to bed feeling fulfilled, hmm. you know, in the way that I lived my life that yeah. day, and that that energizes me for the next day. I like going to bed tired but I don't like going to bed exhausted and as weird as it's as it sounds sometimes you know I go to bed exhausted mentally when I all I saw was comfort in the day hmm. yeah you know when I I went to work and uh, let's say work was easy and I come home and I make dinner and I watch YouTube for an hour and then I maybe I played video games for like an hour and a half and I I knew that I had these chores that I had to do um, this project that I wanted to work on and I pushed all those things aside because all I wanted was comfort I go to bed and I think that was a nice day but internally 
I'm I'm thinking, oh man, what are you doing with your life? Right. It's kind of discouraging a little bit. Yeah, and I, I can that that exhausts that. me, and I yeah. I I hate that. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> um, you know what you could do? You could start podcasting, and you could just podcast on the street. I've done that a couple of times, and afterwards, I just felt like energized because oh, you're yeah. just talking to strangers, asking them if they'd talk with you. <laughs> and that is cool. Because, yeah. you know, hey, can I interview you? And I feel like a lot of people would be like, yeah, that that sounds cool. Like, you think I'm interesting? That's, you know, people are like, oh, I was on TV, you yeah. know, because somebody thought that they were interesting, you know. Yeah. I think that's the 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 glamour, you know, and being on TV or, or something like that, being noticed. People like mm. to be noticed. That's yeah. why people like checking their their social media. How many likes and comments did I get? Right. Um, you know, I think I think that that goes back and that is an example of how how can we show that we love people? Um, you know, when we show that we're interested in them, that's that's like liking their picture on Facebook and commenting and because that makes them feel better about themselves. It could be your, your ministry, liking, doing likes on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. This, no, just, there's I have, a I have about seen, that. I've seen. I have seen YouTube videos. You just, random, like, sports highlight video or something. You see a comment, accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and, and all these things. Or, like, you just see a comment like that on a random the YouTube comment thread and it's just like I understand what you're trying to do and I appreciate that you're trying to get the good news out there but that is the most impersonal way that you can do that yeah. the, the, maybe I'm a cynic you know I'm skeptical but I don't think that's going to stir any heads if anything it's going to stir it away and somebody sees like oh, look at this dummy religious fanatic you know like well what about um street evangelism so that's interesting um you do you feel good about that activity like it was meaningful um are there right ways and wrong ways to go about it um are you still involved in it like what's that what's that like yeah so I think street evangelism is good. Um, do I think it's the most effective way? No. And when I was in college ministry, we called we, we not necessarily street evangelism because you know you can do it anywhere. You can do it in a. We had a university center at school, you know, where everybody gets lunch and all those things. We we called it shotgun evangelism okay um and just walking up to a random person and and sharing the gospel with them um and like what would your first word be or your first sentence uh we would always try to come up with um different things but for me when i if i ever did it i would just hey man can i uh sit here eat lunch with you and they'd be like oh yeah sure and i'd i'd you know eat with them and i'd be like oh can i can i ask you a question kind of deep and they'd be like oh yeah sure you know they're they can't escape they're you know eating their lunch and you're you've been eating with them and you're like what do you what do you think about the afterlife you know and that 
that starts a conversation. And I very, very rarely in a situation like that does somebody completely shrug you off. They might be disinterested in the conversation, mm-hmm. but they're not going to completely shut it, shut it down. Whereas street evangelism, you walk up to a random person and you start talking to them. They're like, oh, no, I don't I want to talk about that. I'm not talking about that. And they, they walk away. Yeah. But if you put them in a position where they can't escape or escape is difficult, <laughs> you can have those conversations. Um, but I think where, where street evangelism is most effective is when there's opportunity to follow up. So I do occasionally share the gospel with just a random person, but I prefer to share the gospel with somebody if I can have a relationship with them. Um, Whereas, you know, other, if you, I, I see things in the opposite way as building a relationship with somebody so you can share the gospel with them I see it as more as I get to build a relationship with somebody and and share the gospel with them that I see it as a conjoined thing like it's it's two things that bring me joy mm-hmm. not that this person is a way that I can receive my joy I do enjoy right. that relationship right so that's why I personally don't like to participate in a lot of street evangelism unless I see the the ability to follow up. Yeah. And probably what you're describing there is like either doing something out of love or out of my religious duty or my religious zeal or something. Yeah. And it's all about me. You know? And I, I definitely do think that some people do effectively street evangelize and yeah. they do so in a loving way. Yeah. Um, and I mean... I watch Ray Comfort videos all the time and mm-hmm. man, he straight he street evangelizes every day it seems and that's all he does. But if you do watch a lot of his videos, he does follow up a lot of times with people. Um and I think that being his full-time job, that is something that he can't effectively do. Um but as somebody who, you know, maybe struggles with time like balancing their time like I do mm-hmm. putting myself out there all the time doesn't end up being that way I'm like my friend said oh, I'm only capable of doing two or three things in a day that might be an exaggeration like of how little you can accomplish in a day but me personally I, I can only do so much in a day before I feel drained because I need that energizing time to myself some people are extroverted they they have to go mm-hmm. go out to get any energy yeah um, I'm not that kind of person so I think that's why more intimate relationships work better for me right any um, particular results of evangelism that are exciting or notable yeah I mean I have seen people um, come to the faith through like my efforts through my sowing of seeds or watering Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it um and it is a really joyous time and to know that you did participate in that person's salvation Mm -hmm. um not that you 
did any of the actual work, but just to know that, you know, you, you will receive a reward for that. We will receive rewards for our good deeds, but it is, it is a really cool time to see somebody, um, converted to the faith and radical life change in their life just to see it before your eyes and I have seen that happen but I have also seen people start that process of conversion see how hard it is and then to go even further away than they were before Hmm. and that isn't something that you should be discouraged by because like I said you're not the person that saves all we do is we plant the seed um, but it's hard not to be discouraged when somebody seems like they're getting it and then they run further and further away. And the hardest thing is not only that are they rejecting Christ, um, but oftentimes they're rejecting you and you lose friendships and relationships. I have people that I was really good friends with and they disappeared from my life. I don't know if it's maybe they feel like they've disappointed me that I don't want to be a part of their life anymore because I've rejected this thing. Maybe they do think that I saw them as a project and that I failed them and that kind of thinks like, oh, I don't want to talk to this guy anymore because he's going to just disapprove of the way I'm living my life. And this, we in in campus ministry, we made a, a joke um, where there was a Starbucks on the campus in the university center, and there's always people from our campus ministry. I was The campus ministry I was in was called Campus Outreach, and there was always people on Campus Outreach and Starbucks. And we'd joke about how people would go around Starbucks because there were people that we became friends with, shared the gospel, they rejected, and they're like, oh, I don't want to see those campus outreach people so they would go around starbucks or they that you'd see they'd they'd walk into starbucks you know to like get something to drink and they'd see somebody and you knew they came in there to get something from starbucks and they'd turn around <laughs> when they made eye contact with you so so what makes it hard for people is it like a, a lifestyle they want and that they would have to give up if they pursued christianity yeah so i've had people where i shared the gospel with them and they said you know I truly believe everything you're saying but I like the way I'm living my life I like my sin and they more or less said that like you know, like, you know I, I I like going out and partying and getting drunk on the weekends that's right. fun I don't want to give that up Right. I understand what you're saying and I think it's true. But I'll do that later in life. You know, that's people people will say things like that and it's like, "Oh man. It's just it's crazy." But it it, it does show that you know God is the one that's in control because we are so against it you know we we can we can fully believe that it's true and i'll ask people like you know 
how easy it is to just like your life to be gone next week like do you recognize like how quickly your life can disappear and then be like oh yeah yeah yeah, i understand that oh you believe that the gospel is true that there is a heaven and hell oh yeah, yeah i believe that so why don't you pursue it i like my sin that's their words more more or, more less, or less yes yeah and it's you just said that you you understand that you could die tomorrow like it's actually n- n- not that insane to think that you know next month you might not be here and you're still saying i'll wait till later in life like that's just so crazy and then a lot of these people well, i have a uh, my he was a little brother that i had in the fraternity you know, when he was a pledge um and i shared the gospel with him all the time and i was always hanging out with him because um, i he was an awesome guy i'm still friends with him and i love this dude a lot like we're still friends even after he basically came to the point where he was like yeah i'm not about that um but he was like he told me i genuinely see how loving you are and all the people in your ministry that you guys are different than other people i can see the genuineness of your faith and that you do have joy in what you're doing you don't feel like you're missing out by not participating in the sin they they recognize that and they still say i want my sin It, it is more enjoyable for me to pursue my sin even though i recognize that you guys are the most happy and loving people i know and is the sin for a lot of people in college kind of like parties and sex and yeah parties and sex and all that kind of thing and just not giving up their time like oh i can't i can't go to church on sunday i don't want to wake up early on church on sunday i gotta go to class on monday you know i don't want to give up my time to do this thing that I think is boring. Right. Something that I think is kind of neat, like I've been involved in, um, and this is a little bit of a plug for anyone who might be listening, is um, there's uh, there's these other people who are doing this too. So there, it's these groups who uh, get into groups of four, of like four men, and they... Um, Work through this book together called Discipleship Essentials by Greg Ogden. And it's just a basic book about Christianity, but it gives some structure to the group. And they, the group of four, they meet weekly and uh, they get to know each other. I did, my group met this morning over right across the street over here. And there's one Catholic guy in it, one Lutheran guy in it, me, our fourth guy, he dropped out right at the beginning. But um, we're about ready to finish up and break up. So the idea is at the end, you break up, and then each person goes out and gets three more people, and you make another group. And then you go through the book, and I hesitate to say this because it causes people not to want to join, but it takes a couple years to get through the book because <laughs> oh, yeah. we go slow, yeah. Um, we divide each chapter up, you know, and, and stuff like that, so it takes about a month to go through a chapter. Um, but I like the idea of... Um, small interaction, building relationships, 
you know, and the struct the book gives some structure to having the conversations be about the basics, the things of the Christian life. And then I like the idea of it breaking up and then multiplying and doing again, you know. So yeah. we we would talk about that a lot in college, this idea of multiplication. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you look at Second Timothy two, one through two, um, Paul says, Therefore, my son, um, what you have learned from me, um, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Um, It's that idea of, you know, you you share something with somebody, not only do they know it, but they have the ability to show somebody else who can show somebody else. Right. Um, And, you know, if, if you show somebody something every single year we show one person something every single year for 30 people you've showed 30 people but if those 30 people are able to do the exact same thing you know that's just enormous the the amount of numbers right that can happen um and you talk about that two three year thing um i think you know it is important for things to take that long because you we in college ministry, in college discipleship, everything's fast motion. Everybody is always around each other all the time. But in life, when you're an adult, you're not in school, you've got a lot of things you're juggling in your life. We had a discipleship program over the summer in campus ministry, and we said they calculated the amount of time that we were doing trainings and that sort of thing. And it was an almost unbelievable number. They they said it was like the equivalent of like 30 years of once a week Bible studies. Now, are you maybe necessarily going to soak in all the material as much as having 30 years of once a week Bible studies? No. But it does kind of explain why, you know, college ministry is so much different than um, uh, ministry in adulthood um, we compared it to like a football field when you're when you're in college ministry every single play is a Hail Mary <laughs> like every single play you're you're passing up 60 yards and it's either gonna miss or you're gonna go for that touchdown or get really, really close. Hmm. But in adulthood, three and a half yards every time. Every single play, it's three and a half yards. It's a slow struggle to that end zone. And the end zone, you know, is the conversion mm-hmm. to Christ. Um, so I think things, that's why I think, you know, something of like that two, three years thing, it is intimidating. People think like two, three years, that is a long, it is a long time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, span of our short lifetimes but to see to make serious change and growth and to build relationships in adulthood a lot of times does take that long yeah so so you know you're part of this worldview group that um you know, Johnny's a part of, and we've been discussing the questions and stuff here at home before they come out. Um, this um, this last time they met, they talked about like uh, 
um, like, uh, you know, evolution mm-hmm. and like, uh, short, um, or like a world that's not, you know, millions of years long, old, yeah, or uh, young uh, earth, younger creationism. Old, and yeah. that. Do you have any, uh, thoughts? Is that something you've looked into and have opinions on? Yeah. Or? So a lot of you are like, what in the world? I'm, I am a young earth creationist. Okay. Um, I wouldn't claim to be the most educated in this subject and I don't necessarily know everything off the top of my head, but I have resources that I have read and agree with, um, and others that I, you know, haven't agreed with that I I have as resources that I can look back to, Mm -hmm. but I am a young earth creationist, um, I don't see um, one in the Bible how you can not be a young earth creationist. Um, From what particular, any particular passage you're thinking of? Um, I think, you know, Genesis 1. Okay. You know, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, and, you know, then he created the waters, the earth. He did all those things. He created the animals. They weren't evolved. He created each one according to their kind. Um, and I think, you know, if you, it's not written, the, the narrative style of the book of Genesis is not figurative any, any way. If you know anything about literary writing styles, um, the, the form of writing that, Genesis is written in is is literal. It's not they the idea of fiction novels didn't come into play. I think until like the 1700s or 1800s by all historic accounts of of writings. So to to look at Genesis and say that it's just a story that teaches morals and that sort of thing is like you know when when Moses wrote that book he was writing it in a literal way. He genuinely did believe that all these things happened like this. Uh, he wouldn't write that God created each according to their, he would have written God created, set up each one according to their kinds to evolve into the life forms that they are today. If he believed that's how it was. And I think if you dismiss one section of the Bible, like say, Oh, well, Genesis isn't, that's not actually real. None of that actually happened. I think you set yourself on the slippery, the slippery slope to deny other things in the Bible. So I think that you have to affirm everything in the Bible or you can't affirm any of it. And you know, Genesis is one of those things that is one of the most distinguished book of the Christian canon of scriptures, like what we consider is true and actually is God's word. And that is one of the most significant of the 66 books. Um, so yeah, I do believe that, um, I'm trying to think of the words. I think it's micro evolution and macro evolution. Yeah. So micro is adaptation Right. And macro is one kind becoming a different kind. Right. I think, I believe in microevolution. Things do change and adapt, but they never become different kinds. 
um, and something I see that people people say, oh, you have 75% of the same exact DNA as a potato or something like that. It's something crazy like that. And they say that's a, um, that's a point for evolution. And a lot of scientists and evolutionists actually say that looking at like the study of bones and you know, carbon dating, those kind of things, actually aren't the most significant um, reasons to believe in evolution over millennia. It's that actually just how similar DNA is across different animals but and plants. But to me, that just shows how awesome and magnificent God is, that he can make the most microscopic of changes and just have radically different outcomes. That I have 75, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's a big number, like 75% the same DNA as a potato, and I'm absolutely nothing like a potato. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. So microevolution as in like a wolf can become a chihuahua, but not that a, a, a potato became a wolf, something like that, right? Yeah. Or <coughs> that a, a whale could become a bear. Right. That's yeah. a really drastic thing, but you're not going to have a, mo- a monkey is not going to become a human. You know, like, but a human with blonde, two humans with blonde hair having a kid with red hair. You know, where'd that red hair come from? And it's a mutation, genetic, genetic mutation. Could um, it be just a suppressed gene or something that's expressed oh, in the child? Yeah, no, that definitely, but okay. I mean, if, if you look at, historical or DNA findings, you know, like red hair appeared at a certain point by scientific studies um, that it, it didn't, that gene didn't exist before, but and something that even more um, significant, noticeable is something like your skin color. You know, people close to the equator have darker complexions than people who live in the Arctic regions. Um, that's something that's like adaptation and they, they adapted to have higher melanin levels to protect themselves. I mean, if I go to the equator and spend a bunch of time there, if I'm not wearing sunscreen and wearing clothes, like I'm going to get really, really burnt. And not that people with dark complexions don't get sunburns, but you know, at the end of the summer when you're tan, you don't get burnt as easily at the beginning of the summer before you got tan. Right. Um, so I think, you know, it, they say um, natural selection is the big evolution thing. I do think that natural selection is real, but it's not in the form of changing to a different kind. It's the sm- small modification to survive your environment. Right. Okay. Thanks for your, your thoughts on that. I think it's really neat. Um, how you seem to consciously think at the end of the, your day was it a fulfilling day and how you felt about it and stuff like that yeah so that's something from our conversation I want to remember you know so 
just in wrapping up, is there anything, um, just anything else that we haven't discussed that you know we should bring up and talk about or anything? Um, I can't really think of anything. But I will say that most days when I think about it, was that day fulfilling? It's a lot of times. It's I don't think that it's fulfilling. Um, it's something I'm working on. Yeah, you know. Well, at least you're, it's kind of like a conscience, conscious yeah. um, way to try to be intentional rather than just going through life blindly and not even thinking about your life. Yep. Um, so anyway, it th- seems like a, a good practice. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a way of measuring myself. Yeah. Um, some people, you know, they journal. Yeah. You know, like you look at fitness and, you know, they journal oh, this month I lifted this much weight, this month I lifted that much weight. I don't necessarily journal regularly, but I do like to kind of notice milestones. Compare, I don't compare myself to, I try not to compare to myself to who I'm going to become. I have an ideal, you know, of that I'm striving for, but I like to compare myself to who I was last month i was last year you know when i see myself when i look back and i think oh i'm worse than i was last year that motivates me to become better Hmm. and when i i might find a defeat in the individual days but when i look back i want to know that i'm winning the war i might lose a battle but i want to win the war so you're not looking forward so much as in this is what I think I should be, it's more like, am I better than I was yet last year? Something yeah. along those lines. You know, I'm not perfect. I Sometimes I do compare myself to the future mm-hmm. ideal version of myself that I've created. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I try not to look ahead. Mm-hmm. Well, I, 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 I do look ahead. You know, I, I do, and the Bible tells us to, to forget the things that lay, lay behind and to look ahead. Mm-hmm. But to know that I'm still on course, I, I do turn back, you know, and look, I'm like, did I, did I go off onto a different path? You know, mm-hmm. I, right. I, I do want to make those, um, notice it. Like I do want to notice whether or not I am continuing down the right course while I am looking ahead at this ideal goal. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that's good. Like, uh, I have a planner that, I don't use it anymore, but it started me um, when I was planning out my next week. It started with list your three to five wins from the previous week, you know. So I would go back through my planner and think, hey, that was pretty good. This happened last week and this happened last week. And I would kind of list those things. And it's just kind of nice because otherwise, um, you know, some significant things can happen, but you just go on through life and you don't even recognize it. But I think recognizing it helps set you up for the following, I mean, the coming up week, or it just helps you direct your life somewhat in general because you're consciously um, thinking, you know, what really was significant about my week last week? What was seems important? And then you're going to be, you're going to gravitate toward that more. Um, so it sounds like uh, that's kind of what you're talking about, more of like, you know, yeah. at the previous year and so on. yeah more or less yeah that's yeah pretty much my view on that yeah um 
I've heard someone else say, um, don't compare, um, I don't know, I forgot the quote, so I'll just drop that. <laughs> um, all right, well, it's been really good to talk with you, Mike. Yeah, I you really too, appreciate it. You really uh, express yourself well, articulate, and it's been good. Thanks. Thank you.